Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Respectfully podcast recorded live with Trevor Sorby at his home near the south coast of England. Here Trevor invited us to his lovely Sunfield house to meet his wife Carol and dog Lisbon. He is now retired from salon and show life but remains very engaged with his creative team at Trevor Sorby International in central London and also works on his charitable and mentoring projects. Our guest host for this episode is Charlotte Cave, a salon owner herself with two luxury premises in London and a long history of working both behind the chair and also on session work. Here's Charlotte asking Trevor about his career and his opinions and she also poses questions submitted by many of his former art team directors including Sally Brooks, Angelo Seminara and Tom Connell. I am sitting in Trevor Sorbet's studio. Hello Trevor. Hey there. I'm looking forward to this actually. Um, I don't know what you're going to ask me but whatever it is I'll, uh, I'll be honest about oh, it. I'm looking forward to it and we'll begin. We're here to obviously discuss your remarkable career uh, that strikes me to be brave and focused and above all I think very generous. Your legacy uh, you have shared and passed on to many over the years. You worked with the giants at Vidal Soon, Tony and Guy and John Frieda, mm -hmm. and you went on to opening your own salon in Covent Garden in 1976. Mm -hmm. Attributed with the invention of the wedge cut, Wolfman and the scrunch, you made somebody who made diffusers very rich, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> you were found to be backstage at Fashion Weeks over the years, collaborating with Vivian Westwood, John Galliano, right. Alexander McQueen, to name but a few. And I know fashion is very important to you. Uh, I think, I believe you have danced on many a dance floor, sweating in knitwear that you refused to take off because it looked too good. Is that correct? <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I'll give you a reference on that later. <laughs> <laughs> I did some digging. Between called on by the late Queen Elizabeth II to restyle her look. That's right. And a chop and chat on the steps with the Beatles. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it was George Harrison you were very good friends with and Paul yep. McCartney. Mm -hmm. To one of my favourite haircuts of all time, I have to say, Trevor, it was Grace Jones. When oh, I thought, oh yeah. what an amazing... I enjoyed that one. Oh, before she went on and walloped Russell Hart. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was the day before she went on Exactly, so you really marked that moment. Um, amongst all of those amazing achievements, you managed to create your own range of hair. Care, mm -hmm. which catapulted you to a household name and many, many TV appearances followed since. Um, am I doing okay so far? Trevor? Yeah, <laughs> you're spot on. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, so during your career and business, you have inspired and nurtured the great hairdressers of today, Trevor, uh, but yet you still continue to educate and maintain the excellence in your name and your brand, which I think is an, a remarkable achievement, and I can't think of anybody else in the industry who have achieved that, as my personal note to you. And then in 2004, you were rewarded with an MBE. That's um, right. So yeah. congratulations to your service in hairdressing. Just going back a little bit for me, if you will, Trevor, you were born in Scotland, and you moved to Ilford with your family at 11 years old. With little warning, I'm told, you left a sweetheart behind <laughs> telling yeah. her you would be back for her in two weeks, Trevor. That's right. Um, so a, a regular heartbreaker. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought I was going on holiday for two weeks, as you say. And um, my, my parents, uh, well, decided to live in 
England and I had no choice there. I think she's probably still waiting at the bus stop. I, I don't know. I would be <laughs> waiting for you, Trevor. <laughs> so where your father opened up a barber shop mm-hmm. and you left school at 15 and began your apprentice. Mm-hmm. How was your introduction to hairdressing with your father, Trevor? Um, well, <coughs> firstly, I didn't want to be a hairdresser. I wanted to be an artist. Um, that was my first love. But I got bullied at school, and I said to my dad, I just want to get out, you know, I hate school. He said, well, come in the barbershop and see how you get on. And I did, and just shampooing and looking at men's magazines all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> in those so days. they were, yeah, men's magazines were quite different to GQ, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I found hairdressing quite easy. Within three months, I was cutting people's hair. And um, I worked with my father for five years, but it was factory workers. Ford Motor Company was just down the road, and these guys, they didn't want hairstyles, just wanted short back and sides, you know. And after five years, quite frankly, I got fed up, and uh, I quit hairdressing. Hmm. And uh, I decided um, I wanted a car, so I applied for a job, selling razor blades for Gillette and uh, I, I was interviewed and I miserably failed the interview. <laughs> I knew it before I'd even left the room. Not that I wanted the job so much, I wanted the car. The car that came with the job. Yeah, yeah. but I didn't get either. So I said to my parents, I said, look, I'll go back into hairdressing but I don't want to do men's anymore, it's boring. So uh, they sent me to a college in Baker Street called the Richard Henry School of Hairdressing. Six months course, it was £100. And in those days, that was a lot of money. Mm. Mum and dad had no money, but they scrambled that up and got me a six-month course. And um, on the last day, when I was actually leaving, as I was leaving the premise, the principal of the uh, college, Mr. Gottlieb, came up to me. He said, Trevor, he said, I see something a bit special in you. I think you should go to a really good salon. I said, do you really? He said, yeah. He says, there's something about you. I, I think you'll do well. So he sent me to Vidal Sassoon. So Trevor, you joined Vidal Sassoon in 1972 and indeed was promoted incredibly quickly uh, yeah. to artistic director within a year. Mm-hmm. Angelo Seminaro has a question for you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) he asks how has Vidal Sassoon influenced your life he is my mentor he's my hero he is a guiding light he taught me more than hairdressing Um, I've never had so much respect and still to this day if I was half the man that he was then I would die a very happy man. He's complete inspiration to me. Mm. Wow. Well, I think that's answered that question. <laughs> so um, what brought on the decision then to move to Tony and Guy? Well, um, t- to be honest, what happened when an, I was at Sassoon's, they said, would I go out to Italy Um to the Milan salon, they opened a salon in Milan, and I said, "Yeah." I says, "But I said I'm going to give up my car. 
I'm going to give up my girlfriend. I said, could I have a £10 a week rise? And they said no. And I thought, oh, that's a bit harsh. Anyway, um, I went. I stayed there six months. And one day, um, a guy called Fernando Romero, who was the art director of um, Vidal Sassoon America, uh, he said, Trevor, I'm going down to Mexico uh, to start an art team. Would you be interested? And I, I thought, yeah, because I, I, I still had that nasty taste in my mouth that mm. it wouldn't give me a rise. Mm. Ten days later, I was living in Mexico. I stayed there for six months. Um, wasn't too... I, I didn't like Mexico at all. No. You were either rich or poor, and I mm. was neither. And I got out of there and then went to Tony and Guy. Um, and Anthony Muscolo was my junior at the time. And uh, I saw a talent in him in his early days. I knew he'd be one day very good and has proven so. Um, and then from there, I uh, stayed with them for six months, I think. And then I went on to work for John Frieda. That's right. Another person that I thought was... Um, beautiful hairdresser a lovely lovely man fantastic hairdresser and that's when Nikki Clark was working there so I, I used to work for people that I thought I could learn from yeah and um, and I my dad always said if you're taught well you become good so, and I, I've never forgotten those words so I, I went to places that I thought I could learn and um being surrounded with a good in a good environment, uh, a, a creative environment, really it's, it it really sparked me up. I wanted to be one of those. I, I, I wanted to I wanted to be a top hairdresser. It takes a certain amount of courage, I think, to understand and have the confidence to understand that you're going to only work for the best and that you want to become the best. Do mm. you think that's true of you? Because you uh, essentially feels like you're a slight introverted character and yeah. you're very comfortable in your own space. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> put it this way. When I was at Sassoon's, I never used to sit in the staff room and listen to the gossip and all the stuff, that negative stuff that happens in staff rooms. The twitch and bitch. Yeah, <laughs> all of that, yeah. you know. Um, I used to stand on the floor and just watch these hairdressers. And I think you can learn as much by watching as you can by sectioning off a haircut section by section. I just used to stand there and watch. And I thought, in life, there's certain things you know you can do and there's certain things you know you can't do. I mean, I couldn't. I wouldn't jump out of an aeroplane with a parachute. I won't do a bungee jump. I, I just know. I know I can't do that. I want to do that. Mm. But what I did think was, you know what? If I work hard and be surrounded with these people, I want to be one of them. Mm. And that is not impossible if I really give it my all. Mm. And I decided to give it my all. Hence, in my initial uh, description of your career, is very focused, Trevor, which I have noticed all the way through your career. Um, so, in that time, working from 
Vidal Soon, Tony and Guy, and John Frieda, you also became a session stylist. Mm. Trevor, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Having been a session stylist myself and a salon stylist, I would like to ask you, how do you, how is that experience different for you? Right, um, twofold. Um, I hated part of it, and I loved part of it. The part that I hated was um, dealing with difficult models that would just not allow themselves to let you do their hair um, or they didn't like it or whatever. Um, I felt some of the, the fashion editors um, that knew nothing about hair were making negative comments when they didn't like it and I thought it looked great and so did everyone else. Um, but I loved the challenge of it as well. Mm -hmm. And when you were working with top photographers like David Bailey, Donovan, Duffy, these great names, I loved that side of it. Mm. So there was a love-hate going on, you know, and I was always terrified before... I went on a session, I'd walk in, I had all my bag of tricks and I'd go in and I'd think, oh, doing Naomi Campbell's hair today, oh God, what's <laughs> she going to be like? Oh, I, there was fear running through my body all the time. But, you know, I did, I did, it was love-hate. Mm. Love hate uh, for different reasons, mm. like well, I've explained. That feels that's beautifully explained and feels uh, very familiar to my experiences. Mm -hmm. Although I'm sure the audiences are itching to know the difficulties, but what goes on the chair stays on the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not right, Trevor? Uh, you became a close collaborator with designers and worked backstage on Fashion Week regular names on shooting for magazines of we've discussed traveling the world. Out of all of the lasting memories of that period, mm. do you have a particular memory that you can draw upon for us to give us a full picture? Um, well, if we're talking about fashion world, um, I did a lot of work with Zandra Rhodes. Uh, you, you know, we're talking in the 70s mm. now. And, and I loved her because of, uh, I loved her her dresses mainly but I loved her and she never wanted a normal hairstyle on her models she always wanted something creative mm. and that was right up my street and um, I did many of her fashion shows and they were the ones that I really enjoyed but I worked for Dior quite a bit that that they were a good company to work for. Um, Bill Gibb, who no longer is with us, he used to push me. I always liked to work. I didn't. I remember that I did for one magazine. They just wanted um, hair pulled back in ponytail, and uh, that was for L magazine. And well, any girl could do that themselves, mm. you know. So I only liked the creative. Um, designers that pushed me and wanted my ideas to um you know reflect their clothes um so yeah I, I it was a good time I enjoyed that side of it I think that's a useful answer and I feel sad that I didn't start off with Sandra Rhodes because mm. as we look at fashion now this is 
it is all the non-hair, isn't it? So mm. do you think creativity has gone a little bit from hair? Is post-grunge and now we're in the effortless? Yeah. I have been on set where if you even bring it out of hairspray, somebody has a kitten. You know, <laughs> I'll put it this way. Having lived as long as I have, I lived through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, mm. noughties, and right up till now. Give you an example. When In the 60s, when you walked down King's Road, it was a fashion show. Mm. People were bell-bottoms, scarves, and hats. and I mean, you dressed up to go down King's Road. Mm. You walk down King's Road now, and you just see a lot of young ladies, very pretty young girls, um, not really doing anything, just very casual, sweatpants and that. And that same street, and that's the only way I can explain it. It's gone from like high-end uh, attitude to almost no attitude. But mm. I don't mean no attitude. It's just another, it's today's world. Okay, it's relaxed, you know. Mm. It's You're not trying, mm. but you still look great mm. in, yes. in a very undone way. Yeah. Yeah, but we miss, I mean, I miss some of the uh, the showtime out of fashion, I have to say. Mm. Maybe it will come back. So following that, this is what Tom Connell had to ask. Trevor, you have developed countless new ideas, but can you describe for the audience the feeling you get at that precise moment when you know you're onto something great? Mm. Um, right, the only way I can answer that is when I was doing experimenting for shows, I always used to work at home. I never worked in the salon, always at home. And um, I would make a hairpiece and do it. And I think, yeah, that looks great, that looks great. And then I'd leave it. And I'd go to bed, wake up. And if I came down in the morning and I still felt that it was great, that, that's when I knew I had it. If, if it didn't give me that buzz, it was in the bin. And you, I always gave it the 24-hour test. Because you work so hard on something, you think, oh, that's great, it's great. But when you look at it with fresh eyes, yeah, it's not so great, you know. Mm. So, but you, when, you, when you get, you know when you've done it. Mm. it it's, it's, it gets you. I always say, if it gets me, it will get them. Mm. But it's hard to get, get me. Get them on your feet. <laughs> it's hard to get me. Right. As, you know, Would I'm you consider yourself a relentless perfectionist? Or? No, not a perfectionist. Um, I'm not somebody... When I do hair, I do it very quick. I'm mm. not one of these... I couldn't be a colorist. I couldn't be a permist. I, <coughs> I, I can't... I hate braiding because it's mm. monotonous. It's slow. Um I have to do things that just happen Fluidly. And, and do it quick. I can't get it out quick enough. Mm. And it's, it's a feeling I know when I'm, I'm in that, I'm in a zone. Mm. And I know it's the right zone. Well, that energy feels a very visceral yeah. impulsive emotion yeah. in your creativity Trevor and that's a good insight um, I'm sure Tom would uh, 
uh, empathise with that feeling. So if there was a hairstyle that you would bring back to fashion, thinking about our King's Road, mm. what would it be and why? Okay, I, I said this to my staff just the other night in a staff meeting. I said, what, instead of looking forward all the time, why don't you look back and see what's happened and bring that forward, but in a different way, right? And I said to them, think of a Bob. Think of Cleopatra. How many thousands or hundreds of years ago that happened? Look at the 20s. Look at the 60s. The Bob, Bob, Bob. Even the 70s, 80s. Now, even now, the Bob is there. Bring a Bob back in a new way that would make people say, I want that. I can do that right now. Mm. I know how to bring really? a Bob back new. That's an amazing answer. So you have been hairdresser of the year four times. Mm. Did you have the same creative process when building the collection to win so many accolades and what does that creative process look like i feel that you've almost answered to it to me because you always need to sleep on it a bit like that email that people shouldn't send no. <laughs> um but what does it look like in your world with your team trevor when you're creating a collection and how long does it take um well you have to have a, an initial kind of overall feel of what hair you're going to do but what makes a good collection it's combination the ultimate um, combination is great photographer great model great makeup great hair now it has to consist of those elements I Right. I'll give you one um, one collection that I did. I wanted to do something really, really raw, very uh, aggressive, very scary. And I'm not talking about scary hair. I wanted to put myself into a scary situation. I went to New York and I went to Harlem, okay, and I shot. My, a collection of young girls, very streetwise, very raw. I mean, I w we had a, a guy uh, um, uh, who was carrying a gun with us, uh, or he had a gun, because I put myself into a situation where I wanted to be scared. Right. I wanted to. Be, I wanted a rawness. Um, I remember uh, we were at um, uh, was it oh, the, the Times Square mm -hmm. where all the traffic's going, and I got this girl to literally the traffic lights were red. When they were red, I said, "Right, go!" And she stood right in the middle of the road, which is some challenge in Times yeah, Square, even now. And mm. you know, New York drivers don't, mm. don't really care about mm. pedestrians. And as soon as they went to Amber, she'd get out. And but we got the shot. That was was 
what I wanted to do. Was that one of your most enjoyable collections? Did you? Uh, it was my scariest. Yeah, it's scariest, but was it rewarding? Yeah, I didn't win anything, but I didn't. See, I don't do it to win. I do mm. it because that's what I want to do. Mm. I I know. I've never walked out on a stage and tried to please an audience. Mm. I go out there to please me. If I get me, I'll get them. Mm. Well, that's an artist speaking, uh, Trevor, which well. leads me on to a fantastic question uh, from Angelo Seminara. Asks, what do you think of hair awards in general throughout the world today? If you could change something, what would it be? <laughs> I knew he'd say something <laughs> like that. Having just done the awards, uh, well, Trevor. Well, look, I mean... The awards are great, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, it gives young people a chance to have a go. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I remember right back in my college days, I went, there was a competition in the Richard School of Hairdressing, and I won um, that competition. And it gave me such a bowl of electricity I was like crikey I want to do that again and that's what hairdressing is about look hairdressers is a, there's levels of hairdressing uh, you know from mobile hairdressing to you know top of the tree if you like and everything in between but to give an excitement to someone to push forward You've got to push yourself. You know, it, it won't come from anyone else. So enter, get scared, get nervous, you know, but have a go. Mm. And you might be surprised that you've done something that's given you a real buzz, especially if you win. And even if you don't win, you would have learned something mm. about maybe how to win in the mm. future. No, I, I think awards are great for young people. Mm. I mean, I've had my glory days. You know, if I never won another award, it wouldn't overly bother me. But when I was winning awards, God, I was punching the sky. And I thought, this is it. You mm. know, I'm going to have... Uh, next year, I'm really going to go for it. Uh, it's a great thing. It's, mm. it, it's, it's basically the cement of hairdressing is of to achieve industry. something mm. that other people look at your work and go, yeah, he's good. I mean, you know, there's not many industries where you get that, I don't if think you think so. about mm. it. I have entered hairdressing competitions and I mm. rarely get past the first stop because I continue to do what's right for me. Mm. However, the competition that I did win, you awarded me with my first prize and it was <laughs> with Salon Selectives back in 1994 that I apply. I was at London College of Fashion uh -huh. and I became the Salon Selectives uh, Hairdresser of the Year. But actually what was interesting about that show and A, because it gave me £1,500 and I didn't have any money for my rent, so <laughs> it, I was very grateful. <laughs> and I did rush up to you at the end. It probably blurted out too many personal information <laughs> about myself. But what was interesting, because I said to you, but I didn't think mine was the best, and I still to this day I don't think, and you agreed with me. You said, no, I don't think it was. You said, but what you did was follow the brief, and what you did was salon selectives, 
And what she did was L'Oreal. And that's why I won. And I thought that has stayed with me mm. for a very long time mm. afterwards, is about how to interpret and mm. follow a brief. I thought it was very... Well, the, the fact you got a brief, I mean, that's, that's the goal. Mm. So why... You know, why, why go elsewhere when you know the goal's in front of you? Mm. Well, I think that's good um, good advice to budding hairdressers mm. out there. Um, and Trevor, your passion for education is noted, and many have been queuing up to be part of your renowned Sorby art team. Membership education seems important to you. Mm. Sally Brooks asks... Why do you think so many successful hairdressers have come out of your camp and what is it that you gave them? Mm. Right. That's a very good question. I, right, I, I'm going I'm to turn that around a little bit, but I'll come to the answer. People say to me, how do you get such good staff that become, you know, well known I said well I don't I don't do it do you advertise for good I said no I don't advertise for staff I said my w the pictures that I send out around the world to the press the right people spot my picture and they decide to want to work for me hmm. now I'm going to give you this exactly a true story. One day, I was in my kitchen, phone call. Uh, is that Trevor Sorby? I said, yeah. My name is Angelo Seminara. I want to work for you. I said, oh, hang on a sec, hang on a sec. Firstly, how did you get my number? Oh, I don't know worry about it. <laughs> I said, well, actually, I do worry about it. But anyway, <laughs> I said, you've got to come to London. You've got to do five heads of hair in front of me. And if I like them, I'll train you for a month. And then at the end of that, you will be examined. You'll do 10 heads of hair, start to finish, and I will personally take that test. No problem. He came. He walked the test. I didn't think he even needed training. He did his final test. And that was, well, he was with me 15 years that to this day was the best test that anyone's ever done. Wow. Ever. And I've tested a lot of people mm. in between. The right people know where to go. Mm. You know, you don't... If, if, Angela Seminara could not work in um, a salon down the road. Mm. He, he, he'd stop being a hairdresser because he knows he's got more mm. in him. So you attract the people that the great, want it, the great. that mm. know that they can learn from you. Now, they may see, as they work with me, they'll see different techniques I've invented or created and they see me do shows and pictures and all of that. All right. What I teach them is not a hairstyle. I teach them a way of looking at things. I teach them to think in a certain way. Never went, don't follow the crowd. 
Be brave. Go the opposite way. To, to take something, don't just do what everyone does. Do what you want. Back in the 60s, I was trying to make hair stiff. So, like, we know is gel. Mm. Right, I couldn't find anything because gel wasn't happening. Do you know what I used? What? KY jelly. <laughs> I went into, I was doing a show in America, and I went into a chemist shop. I said, can I have 12 tubes of KY jelly? <laughs> they were looking at you with raised eyebrows. <laughs> You're going on holiday, mate. I said, well, no, I'm going to do an air show, actually. KY jelly, well, it's dry, hard. Now, that is looking outside of the box, looking for something that didn't exist. Through your personal experiences, you set up in 2006, 2006 the pioneering charity My New Hair for cancer patient, patients who suffered loss through their illness. You dedicated not only your time for free, energy to start the charity, but ensuring its success by training other hairdressers the gift not only for cutting wigs, but for nurturing and hair. I feel emotional just saying it, Trevor, but nurturing hair regrowth to patients. You stated it's the psychology med of medicine for women suffering from hair loss, and it's the missing link in their treatment. That was a remarkable move forward and a one-of-a-kind at the time. How do you feel about your charity now, Trevor? The same as when I started it. Um it all started with my sister-in-law getting cancer and she said to me, I'm going to lose my hair. I still want to look attractive to your brother. And I said, I'll get a wig. And I did. And I said, but it still looks like a wig, Jackie. So let me just make it look more real. Um, so I just cut into it and she looked in the mirror afterwards and just burst out crying, tears of joy. And... That's when my whole career just took a sharp right turn and because it gave me something that I'd never experienced before, the, the joy in her face and what it meant to, my, to her and to my brother. At that time, I was doing quite a lot of television work and uh, it became known that I was doing this service. Well, I was getting inundated with people from all over the country, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, coming to me. And I was cutting or customising their wigs. <coughs> um, and um, it just grew and grew. And uh, I went to a company to help me provide a, a space where I could work. Uh, and uh, they allowed me to do seminars once a month and train other hairdressers. And we've trained probably about 2,000 hairdressers now. Aside from your charity work, My New Hair, um, you have rediscovered your love for fine art. Um, I am sat in your studio, Trevor, mm. and I am observing your journey, uh, particularly with your ink drawings, which is remarkable. I feel uh, very privileged. Um, and this was your first passion, as you mentioned, when you were young. Mm. Could you talk to me about what inspired you to pick up the paintbrush again? And who is your favourite artist? Well, I, 
I wasn't inspired to do art. I, I was forced into it. When I got cancer, I was on chemotherapy and one of the um, negative <coughs> side effects is I've lost um, my nerve endings in my fingers. So I can't actually do hair. Mm. I drop the scissors, I can't feel the hair. Um, and uh, to be honest, it was it was the hardest thing that's ever happened to me is to not be able to do mm. hair. It's a very um, cruel side effect. Yeah. Trevor. And I gave up. I had to. I can't do it. So, and one day I sat down and uh, I had a bit of paper and a pencil and I've actually got that original picture which I can show you afterwards. I'd love to see it. There was three bananas on the table. <laughs> And I drew these three bananas. Mm. And no, it was nothing, nothing. Next day I tried something, nothing. From that day to this day, which is what, three, three and a half years, I draw every day. Mm. Every day I'm in here in my studio, apart from if I have to do or go somewhere. But every day I'm free, and I am free five days, six days a week. I'm in here. And I've gone from nothing to something. The picture behind me that nobody can see right now is a picture of Carl, Carl Lagerfeld. I've been looking at that the whole and way. Somebody it's bought amazing. that for 400 pounds. Um, now, it's like anything. I've I've taken art like I took hairdressing. Practice, 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 until practice mm. every single day. A discipline. Even if I come down here and don't feel like it, I still do it, knowing it ain't going to be any good. Mm. But I'm practicing, I'm practicing. And some days I come down here like whoom, a laser beam and I'm right in that zone. I'm going to kill this. I'm going to really, really get it today. And I go in and I get it because my attitude, my focus, my intent, my whole body is there. Mm. Intention is a very powerful word, isn't it, Trevor? I think that's a lovely place to end it on focus, bravery and generosity in your time. Thank you so much, Trevor. Mm. I've, I'm still tingling. I just could talk <laughs> to you for hours. There's so many things I want to ask you. <laughs> My northern roots are like, what about this? What about this? Mm. But um, I shall wish our viewers a goodbye and thank you so much, uh, Trevor. That's an absolute pleasure. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. <laughs> thank you to Charlotte and Trevor for sharing that conversation with us. It was both insightful and inspiring. If you like what you heard, then visit the Respectfully Library of Podcasts. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify and any other good podcast platform provider. Until next time, goodbye.